Okay, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I have no previous experience to uh, do a penny evening, per se, in this room. But welcome you all. I am Clara Georgie, president of the Exile uh, Center of Penn, not just in America, but around the world this year and next. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome you all here, one of the first um, evenings co-sponsored by the American Pen and Art Center. Um, I would like to say just a few words about what it means to be an exiled writer before I introduce our August um, speakers, poets of tonight's program. What unites us in our center is that all of us are exiles and all of us have crossed a border of some country. Border that provides security and protection, if you look at it from another point of view. And a border that separates bars, confines, in prisons. In this context, crossing the border becomes a goal to be reached and surpassed. Yet, when you think about border, the word also connotes periphery, a no man's land, something to think about for exiles. It had been our unfortunately not too singular destiny that for survival we were forced, all of us, to cross the border and personally experience each aspect of the frontier with capital F politically Escaping from madness, disease, darkness, demonic evil forces, if we want to quote Thomas Mann, uh, physically almost dying, most of us, in the process of crossing the actual border, psychologically torn from family, home, past, heritage, and linguistically doubly for all three of us, because we are cursed with a lesser known mother tongue, all three of us present here. Now, after arriving at the coveted other side, where multiferous cultures meet and boundaries that used to divide disintegrate, we found ourselves on the periphery again existentially, personally, culturally alike. Granted, there were apparent normalcy, healthy ambience, even humanism in the West. But although we lived better and we were no longer haunted or persecuted and the demons gradually subsided, 
we still felt lonely, isolated, and alienated. In short, we were trapped by new, different borders. But with unswerving determination, we decided to break out and cross over to the other side again. But how? By what means? By what means can we bridge the abyss of exile? By silence? By feeling ornery and insulted? By arrogant ubiquitousness? By solipsic virtuosity? By icy aristocratic auteur? By prompt resignation? By hermetic aesthetism? by angry self-aggrandizement, by stubbornly adhering to rigid orthodoxy of our country, by prodigious desire for redemption, by enthusiastic acclimatization to the all-encompassing mass culture, by assimilating to the majority language, by compromising seminal principles, by becoming chameleons. When these methods, all of these, proved futile, with strong tenacity of purpose, we, get, we began brandishing the pen. The only weapon left, yes, by writing in both the native tongue and soon in the language of the land beyond the border, we gradually felt the frontier receding, stretching, even expanding the old territory behind. Verily, the word eased the feeling of isolation. Through literature, many a frontier seemed to be breaking down. Moreover, even the long-lost protective aspect of the border began to reemerge. The fight is not over yet. Although we exiles will always remain on the periphery, and scores of barriers will forever sustain. By writing the truth, I'll bite on the outskirts. We fulfill a mission. Our example helps others to overcome their philosophical, psychological, ethnic, and linguistic alienation. We prove that despite all types of frontiers, health, harmony, and humanism can prevail. Writers can transcend borders via literature. It is my great pleasure to introduce two extremely powerful 
and wonderful humanists who have followed this path of being an exile. The first is a poet on my right, Doris Tudoran from Romania, who was born in 1945 in Timisoara, Romania, and um, have published several works before he was compelled to leave his homeland. Doris Tudoran, once considered a child prodigy of the Romanian literature, began playing an active anti-government role in Romanian Writers' Union already in 1977, asserting that artists should not be used as vehicle for uh, state propaganda. His voice was very unusual in the government of Romania. Very soon, his persecution began and he found himself on the periphery. Even though he had published several volumes of poetry and essays, he was a person non grata. Since 1977, Dorin Tudoran had been on the no man's land aspect of the border as an outspoken champion of literary freedom and cultural autonomy in the face of pressure from the party authorities. In um, three years ago, is it three or two? Three now. He was compelled to leave, and we are lucky to have him in this country. Presently, he is working in Washington, doing research. Um, he had published um, eight volumes of books and scores of essays. He had won numerous awards and had been feature speaker um, at major events in various European countries and in this country. Tonight, we are going to see him not as purely a crit critique of the regime, but as a humanist, as a supreme poet. Ladies and gentlemen, Doris Tudoran from Romania. First of all, uh, thank you very much for inviting me to such uh, meeting. Then thank you for coming. I'm um, 
only a human being. I don't know if I was or I wasn't the prodigy child of the Romanian poetry, probably I wasn't. We have in Romania a lot of better poets. It's enough to say that uh, finally I had to, to leave uh, my country. As I told uh, from the very beginning, which means uh, two years ago, I think I didn't left a country. I, uh, I, left, I left a dictatorship in my mind, it makes some difference. Maybe it is only in my mind. I'm um, in the same time happy and unhappy because I had to, to leave my country. I don't know uh, it was or wasn't the right uh, way, the right solution. Generally speaking, I think the emigration is not the best solution. It's only for personal cases. The whole nation cannot emigrate and it's not a good idea. I think it's enough uh, for you to to know that uh, Romania is a very strange place, although in uh, the eyes of uh, the American authorities, on the hand, on the hand, they they say nothing is going on in Romania. And uh, when from time to time something it's happened over there, nobody is very hip happy here to, to notice it. But as a matter of fact, Clara Gheorghe, uh, Thomas Venslova and I, we all uh, came from uh, Europe, and with your permission, I'd like to to read a couple of lines about uh, Europe in my mind, about so-called Middle Europe. Myth stands on the right side of reality. On its left stands utopia. Myth spins a sweet story about old European unity. Utopia whispers the seductive sire song of regaining unity. However, reality does not stand idly by and passes before our eyes examples 1,000 years, several centuries, or just a few hours 
old. And behold the dirty clock of an Europe practicing cultural chauvinism, the thin lips of the cultural arrogance. Behold the forward brow of cultural protectionism, the heirs of cultural autarchy. The hymn of the political ghetto is better read than dead. The hymn of the cultural ghetto is better de-Europeanized than not exist at all. Real politic and cultural real politic are but one and the same grimace responding to the cynicism of reality. Politically, after the Second World War, Europe lost Middle Europa. Morally, it lost rather its Western side. Culturally, it basked in a perpetual convalescence. We have become familiar to visualizing a border as a river or a mountain, as a wall or as miles and miles of barbed wire. However, often the most ferocious border remains the cultural one. Middle Europe as a cultural border. But why not Western Europe as a cultural border? In terms of this continent's destiny, the two are perfectly synonymous. As in mathematics, the direction is the same, the magnitude is different. We exhaust ourselves wondering whether we know what to say each other, or whether we have anything to say to one hour, another. From time to time, to give ourselves courage, we furtively sleep, encouraging knots to each under the curtain. A curtain of iron today, of stone yesterday, of lasers tomorrow. Remember antiquity, don't forget Christianity, the age of enlightenment. And yet, coherence is just what the European cultural pedigree has always been lacking. Today, Western Europe is a community of pre-utopian states. Middle Europa, one of post-utopian states. The former merely read Plato and more, Marx and Kessler, Campanella and Orwell. The latter have lived through these worlds, these Europes. And if myth can degenerate into malignant lie, the danger of utopia is exactly in its implementation, which can only be a caricature. Between these two types of experience, Europe is a cultural border in itself for itself. The threatening sentry posts of this border are called self-disgust, self-defeat, self-sufficiency. In its exile, Middle Europa aborted the myth of utopia. In its resignations, Western Europe aborted the utopia of myth. We have become familiar to living with diabetes. We are learning to live with cancer. 
But what else is culture if not the only chance to survive creatively for the time being with our irreversible amputations on the road to choose our destiny creatively? There is a species of birds whose members are endowed with only one wing, either the left or the right one. When such a bird wishes to fulfill its destiny, that is to fly, a right-winged bird joins a left-winged one. The spectacle of such a flight is extraordinary, bordering on the tragic. When such a bird is content to crawl on the ground, it does not transcend the borders of melodrama because I can't remember the name of this bird and I don't have the time to look it up in a specialized dictionary. It, I call it Europe. I, I felt uh, the duty to give you a couple of lines of my feelings about Europe because First of all, uh, I am an European and uh, probably I will remain for uh, the rest of my life. De neuitatul Caligula. Citesc într-o scriere nu prea de mult apărută că după primele 50 de victorii dobândite în anfiteatru, împins de ovațiile mulțimii, mai muțoiul de Caligula, îmi trimise cu venita placă de lemn, dar cu un mesaj insultător, pe măsura caracterului său. Ruderite donaturi ignavos. Lașului îi se acordă libertate. Pare să că am spart placa în două, m-am reangajat și numărul victoriile mele crescu, zice-se, la 75, când lepădătura de Caligula a fost asasinată. Claudiu respectă voința mulțimii și îmi trimise o altă placă, tot de lemn, dar pe care, se spune, putui să citesc mesajul caracteristic. Dezine, trident stibi nimium placet. Nu mai lupta, îți place prea mult tridentul tău. Astfel părăsia anfiteatrul în plină glorie. Domnia lui Claudiu nu-mi lăsa amintiri deosebite, în schimb, nu-l pot uita nicicum pe maimuțuiul de Caligula, de aceea, în fiecare noapte îmi ilustresc tridentul cu cenușe până mă ustră ochii de strălucirea lui, îi ascut vârfurile, îi întăresc nodurile plasei. Prietenii susțin, nu fără dreptate, că mi-am investit nefolositor libertatea, că nu m-aș fi, obos- fi acomodat de fel cu noua mea ocupație, 
ghid pentru turiștii interesați de Roma imperială. Și apoi, nici n-ar fi prea sigură această îndeletnicire, năpădită cum e, de atâta riscuri. Ia! Yeah. Of, yeah. of unforgettable Caligula. I read in a script published not long ago that after my first 50 victories reaped in the amphitheater, that ape of Caligula pressed the cheering crowds, presented me with a customary plaque containing an insulting message befitting his character. Ro rude right donaturi gnavos, liberty be granted to the coward. Reportedly, I split that plaque in two, then resumed my engagement, and the number of my victories moved up to 70, they say, when that scoundrel of Caligula was assassinated. Claudius heeded the people's wish and sent me another plaque, still made of wood, but on which, I'm told, one could read a characteristic message. Designate Redens TV minimum placet. Cease fighting. You like too much your trident. I left thus the arena in full glory. Of Claudius's reign, I have no distinct memories while I can't chase that ape of Caligula from my mind, which is why uh, every night I polish my trident with handfuls of ash until my eyes go blind on its shine. I sharpen its prongs, refasten the knots in its net. My friends rightly maintain that I have idly invested my liberty, that I have never got used to my new employment. As a guide for tourists interested in Imperial Rome. Moreover, this occupation may be somewhat insecure troubled as it is by countless risks. Nesfârșita pribegie erau doi. N-a fost, fost nevoie să ne-o spună. Am știut din prima clipă că sunt cărturari. Părăsiseră Alexandria după ce sfârșiaseră hainele de pe ei <coughs> văzând cum se mistuie în foc biblioteca, în vreme ce știința niciunuia din mari învățați ai cetății nu putea face nimic. Când ne-au spus că e timpul să plece, am regretat, ne obișnuiserăm cu ei. În semn de mulțumire, spuneau, pentru găzduirea celor dasem, n-aveau altceva să ne dăruiască decât un săculeț plin cu cenușe, din ceea ce fusese marea minune a lumii. L-au pus cu umilință pe un raft al bibliotecii noastre. 
la puțină vreme după plecarea străinilor, casa noastră arse din temelii. Focul pare să a izbucnit dinspre cărți. Așa a început nesfârșita noastră pribegie. N-am luat cu noi decât o mână de cenușe, încă fierbinte, o purtăm la gât, în săculețe de piele și ne rugăm pentru găzduire. Endless wanderings. Two of them came to our door. They didn't have to tell us. We knew from the start. They were learned men. They had fled Alexandria. Garments torn in desperation, while the flames wasted the li library, the science of all the great scholars in the city of Norway. Later, when the time came for them to leave, we felt sad. Being so used to their presence, as a token, they said of gratitude for our hospitality, they had little to offer besides a bag full of ashes from what had once been a great miracle of the world. They seated it humbly on a shelf of our library. Soon after the strangers left our house, burned to the ground, the fire seemingly caught on from the books. This is how our own endless wandering started. We have taken along only a handful of the still scalding ashes. We carried them in a little skin bag around our neck, knocking on doors for shelter. Arsura, Luion Caraion. O, Doamne, cum ne mai risipim noi ca boabele de piper rostogolindu-se din punga spartă, iriși negri izgoniți dintr-un alb al ochiului ce nu mai suportă arsura lacrimii, nici pe cea luminii, ce nu mai admite, ce nu mai, o, Doamne, albul ăsta din ochi, imaculat, ca o minciună în stare, Demencial de pură. Oh God, how we are scattered like pepper berries rolling from a broken bag, black irises ejected from the white of the eye, no longer able to bear the burning tear or the scorching light, no longer making allowances no longer oh god this unblemished eye white like a lie in a state of tantalizing purity zaruri 
dintr-o dată, o vârstă cățărându-se pe șira spinării, pașii ei de gheață, tropăind pe vertebrele tale, ca pe o scară uitată acolo, de la ultima mișcare genetică. Ai vrea să te scuturi, o și faci până la urmă, deși bănuiai că treptele scării se vor prăbuși zornăind zaruri în care disperarea a mușcat numerele ei inoxidabile. Dies. Suddenly, each climbing on your spine, its frosty steps trampling your vertebrae as if on leather, forgotten there from the last genetic movement. You would like to shrug it off. You even do it eventually, although you suspect the rungs would collapse in violent noise. Dice into which despair's teeth have pierced their numbers imperishably. Pax Romana Ca să tac, mi-ați dat un vagon cu gumă de mestecat. Ca să nu mai respir, mi-ați trimis fotografii din împărăția Gulag. Ca să-mi piară cheful de a vedea, mi-ați legat ochii cu 33 de kilometri de panglică mașină de scris. Ca să nu mai scriu, îmi amintiți toate aceste daruri ale voastre. Ce vă faceți dacă încep să vă aplaud? Ca să tac, mai trimiteți-mi o căruță cu gumă de mestecat. Ca să nu vă aplaud, e pe gratis. Pax Romana. To keep me tongue-tied, you have sent me a wagon load of chewing gum. To knock my breath out, you have shown me photographs of Gulag Kingdom. To make me abdicate any wish to see, you blindfolded me. 33 miles of typewriting rhythm. To keep me from writing, you reminded me of your gifts. But what would you do were I to applaud you? If you want my mouth shut, send me another card load of chewing gum. I'll spare you my applauses, free of charge. Jurnal din subterană, provincie, imperiile au uitat de noi, nu mai știu căruia din ele îi aparținem, tresar pentru o clipă, numai când ne mai simt ca pe un apendic inflamat sau ca o pepită de aur. Strămoșii noștri nu-și amintesc dacă la noi a fost 
Purinu, canonizat vreodată în Sfânt. Provincie, provincie, provincie. I think this poem especially expresses something very special, very Romanian, and a par with the overwhelming metaphor in Doris Tudoran's poetry. Uh, the only country in Middle Europe which belongs to, originally, to the uh, Roman uh, languages in the Sea of Slavs and, of course, the Hungarian next door, uh, it automatically makes us remember that this territory over 2,000 years ago was a Roman province and a great deal of Roman allusions uh, occur in Mr. Tudoran's poultry and being a province, a colony, being oppressed as natives is not so alien today as if 2,000 years had not passed. Province. Empires have forgotten us. They no longer can tell which one we belong to. They get startled upon occasion when they still feel us uh, as a swollen appendix or as a golden lump or oh, our forefathers no longer remember if any saint was ever canonized in these parts province province of provinces thank you very much thank uh, you. it gives me great pleasure to introduce Thomas Wenzlova, who is from my home turf, we are both at Yale, coming from not too far away from Europe uh, and not too far away in time either. Thomas Wenzlova's name is not unknown. Um, he has been um, known among many of you as one of the outstanding poet and critic from Lithuania. Uh, I would like to tell you a little bit about Thomas Wenzlova's extraordinary talents, uh, in addition to being a superb poet and phenomenally talented critic. He speaks and understands and reads and writes close to 13 or 14 languages. He has visited, as of today, as of today, 50 countries, traveling being his hobby. Now, Thomas Wenzlova 
likes to remain in the esoteric realm and doesn't like these mundane little side comments. But I am the one who likes those. Um, he was born in Lithuania in 1937 and was lucky to have a father, died in 71, who was a leftist Lithuanian writer and a very prominent figure in the Lithuanian Communist Party. He did not take after his father. He fell far away from the tree as a leaf. He received his diploma at the Vilnius, the noted and ancient Vilnius University in 1960 and worked in Estonia at the Tartu University under the guidance of Professor Yuri Lotman. He was very uh, um, young when he began to advocate dissident political views and testify to very unusual literary taste in that part of the world. And in the Soviet Union, this was a rather dangerous stance to take. However, he was still permitted to teach literature and semiotics at Vilnius University. But when things began to be rather difficult, he uh, made money with translation. He translated, among others, um, T.S. Eliot, Alfred Gieri, and translated uh, Akhmatova, Pasternak, Merdostram, and so on into Lithuanian. He also authored, at a very early age, a collection of poetry, Sign of Speech, in Lithuanian. Soon after, the world around him demanded his presence, and he was one of the founding members of the Lithuanian Helsinki group, organized with the help of Yuri Orlov, Alexander Ginsberg, Sharansky, and so on in 1976, as many of you remember. A year later, he had to leave the Soviet Union. He accepted the invitation of University of California, Berkeley. <coughs> While teaching at Berkeley, he was stripped of his citizenship, uh, Soviet citizenship, because of his dissident activities. He had taught at several universities since and published three four books of poetry and numerous articles since in the West. Presently, he is an assistant professor in the Slavic department of Yale University. Uh, he succeeded having his family leave the country also and his daughter, 13, also lives in the United States now. Um, 
Thomas Lenslova is going to read from his poetry and perhaps uh, some prose as well. Thank you. <coughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, well, probably my poetry needs some comments. I will try to read at least one short poem in Lithuanian and several poems in my shaky English. Um, so, pro mo well, most likely not everybody even knows uh, where Lithuania is. During the last Pen Club Congress in New York, I remembered uh, the French, uh, a French nonconformist writer, Alfred Jarry, whom I translated into Lithuanian. He was a pl playwright of late 19th, early 20th century. And his uh, grotesque and absurd play, uh, play Uguroa, uh, the action of that play took, uh, takes place in Poland, or nowhere, as Alfred Jarry, uh, Alfred Jarry noticed. Because Poland at that um, period uh, did not exist as a separate state. It was partitioned between the three continental powers. The most strange and absurd uh, scene of that play uh, takes place in Lithuania, uh, which was at that time, uh, well, almost part of Poland. It was connected with Poland, just like Scotland is, uh, is in a sense, part of, 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 of England, of Great Britain. So the Lithuania is, uh, so to speak, the very nowhere of nowhere. Uh, it's, uh, first of all, it belongs to the large uh, realm of the uh, communist utopia, and uh, secondly, it does not exist at present as a, as, as a separate state, against the will of the most of her, in her inhabitants. Uh, our only existence is our language. Uh, there is, well, I, I have already compared the situation of Poland versus Lithuania to the situation of uh, England versus Scotland. Uh, probably the comparison with Ireland would be even more in place. Uh, because we have much in common with Ireland, for, uh, first of all, uh, our nations are of uh, comparable size. Secondly, we also are Catholics. And thirdly, um, we always had the problem of preservation of our language and our distinctive culture. And I would say that we were probably more successful than the Irish people, because Lithu the Lithuanian language is much more alive and kicking than the Gaelic language now. <laughs> uh, and uh, presently, since we uh, are the part of the Soviet Union, the language is our uh, only homeland, and uh, there are many good writers in, uh, in Lithuania writing in, in that small language. Uh, only three million uh, persons speak Lithuanian, and uh, around half a million uh, 
during my stay in Dublin, I learned that the Irish people had three major uprisings uh, from the end of the 18th century until, uh, well, well, until, the, 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 until the present day. So in the same period, we have, we Lithuanians, uh, together with Poles, by the way, we had six major uprisings. So um, I still believe that this country, this language, this culture has, uh, has a future and uh, consider it my duty to contribute to that uh, future as much as possible. Um, together with many other uh, Lithuanian writers, part of them here in the United States in exile, part of them in, in Lithuania itself. I took some, uh, some part in the Soviet dissent movement. This was the, that was the most important experience of my life. Um, because of uh, the fact I am now in the United States, around 10 years, I don't feel myself in exile. I feel myself uh, as much at home as, as in Lithuania here. Uh, I uh, write only in my native language. Uh, and my main uh, goal is uh, to make my uh, poetry, my uh, essays, my scholarly work, uh, to make it uh, to reach uh, Lithuania. And I think that uh, those things reach Lithuania and are read there. This is the most important uh, for me. I don't, uh, I, yes, I am not especially eager to make any career as an English language writer. Uh, or uh, to have as much translations as, as possible, although I was rather lucky with my translators for the, well, uh, Joseph Brodsky made me a great honor translating some of my poems into Russian and Czeslav Milos into Polish. And uh, I am not totally happy with the English translations. So, first of all, there is a big difference in tradition. Uh, this, uh, most of the Lithuanian poetry is still written in a very strict metrical patterns, uh, rhymed, just like Russian poetry, by the way. In, in English uh, translation, it's, if, if the translation uh, preserves those metrical patterns and rhymes, it sounds probably Victorian, or it just uh, could sound like a sort of awful drawing. So uh, one cannot help uh, because this is our tradition. Uh, and uh, I, I was brought up not only on the Lithuanian tradition as such, but also on, on Mandelstam, on Pasternak, on Nakhmatova, uh, who also um, sound uh, strangely to the English air. So um, now, uh, to read some, uh, several of the poems, first of all, one short Villanelle, which I read more, uh, yes, many times in, in various audiences, short Villanelle in Lithuanian and then in, in, in English. Well, all Villanelles are, are of course, short. Uh, so, First in, in, in Lithuanian, just for giving you the feeling of the language, and then I will read everything in English with some necessary comments. 
sustok, sustok, suira, sakinis, stogu, riba, sutampa, saušra, viloja, sniegas, prietarė ugnės. Kaskart lėčiau švytuoja skrydinys, ir asla braukia švino atsvara, sustok, sustok, suira, sakinys, pasaulio vietoj žėri vlėžinys kurie atspindi vairodžio dikra, viloja sniegas pritarė ugnės, į kamerą sugrįžta kalinys, į dangų brandą zonos aptvara, sustok, sustok, suira sakinys. Erdvės keveldra laiko trupinys, apgaubė mūsų kūnus neiskara, viloja sniegas pritarė ugnės, prieveido glaudžias visą, kas išnyks, Ir angelo galvų gali nėra, sustok, sustok, suira, sakinys, viloja sniegas, prietarė ugnės. And now the same text in English, I don't think it needs any comment. It was written in Lithuania. Break off the phrase disintegrates and dies, the roof line coincides with crack of dawn. Snow speaks, the fire re-echoes what it says. The lead weight gives the floor a gentle grace. By hours the circle slows its way and swing, break off the phrase, disintegrates and dies. Where once the world was, now a drawing shines, reflected in the mirror's empty moon. Snow speaks, the fire re-echoes what it says. The convict files back to his cell's recess, up skyward trails the barbed wire of the zone, break off the phrase disintegrates and dies. A fraction out of time, a shard of space, grips like a fear, your body and my own. Snow speaks, the fire re-echoes what it says. To each face presses all that vanishes. The bed's head has no angle guardian, Angel guardian, break off the phrase, disintegrates and dies, snow speaks, the fire re-echoes what it says. And now, now just in English, just several more poems in English. Some of them will be longish. And I'm not absolutely sure of my pronunciation of several words used by my translator. So excuse me. <laughs> Well, this is a poem which title is Thanksgiving Day. I, well, several years ago I spent a Thanksgiving Day. It was my first real American Thanksgiving spent in the American family. In, in the family of one of my students, uh, Slavic students in Ohio. I was working at uh, the Ohio State University at that time. So, uh, one pr well, uh, the house I s spent uh, this Thanksgiving um, reminded me uh, very strongly of uh, my uh, native house in Lithuania, because Lithuania is not unlike Ohio. And, uh, well, uh, to be sincere, I underwent a rather difficult experience there. Uh, well, uh, at that time, I, I thought it was a minor heart attack because I had uh, strong chest pains. 
because of coffee, I just uh, had, 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 had too much of coffee there. Uh, I was uh, frightened, of course. Later, it <coughs> proved to be nothing relevant, but uh, of course, uh, this uh, experiences somehow reflected, uh, somehow reflected in the poem. Uh, the poem is rather short. Well, in the original, it's uh, also uh, written in a very strict metrical pattern and, and primed. The swamp at the foot of the slow creeks of metal. A horse picks at the echinodermatous field. Eight women bustle about the tables in the center of autumn and the plain. The weekend come, come soaked with you in the state of Ohio. In the ravine, a maple rusts, or a train car. It's hard to say from here. Coalescing light, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, Oregon, Orion too. The Lord's landslide, lowering over forfeited space. While the dismal expanse is crumbled by the heart's monotonous strokes, let thanks be offered, thanks for the new land. It's not transparent for me, but it's alive. I am not transparent for it, but I'd wager the ancient dog would sooner recognize Odysseus not in his native parts, but here. Thank you for the answers, things no longer within the grasp of the insomniac mind, for the fact that I taste new water, for the future grasses, for the forbearing wind above them, for the grave in a strange place, for a strange stone's undoubting weight, for non-being, for the fact that you are able to recreate being from it, if you want to. For the black music of the spheres, for the fact that this day has held every note. Used to being in the twi twilight objects are repeated on this side of the ocean. Clocks in trees rise in the corners. The retina, not fearing to be fooled, finds the lock, tablecloth, stairs, just where it found them in childhood. So as you uh, see, this uh, part of the poem is uh, dialogue with a god. I, I, I must confess that I am not a very religious person, although I was born as a Catholic. Uh, I am rather an agnostic. But to be precise, I believe that God is somewhere beyond and above the, uh, our dichotomy of existence versus non-existence, just like he is above and beyond all other, our, uh, all other our dichotomies. So the next poem, well, uh, Clara told you that I am a, so to speak, maniacal traveler. Uh, I really have visited uh, all five continents and many islands in uh, less than 10 years. And this is a, the next poem is about Tasmania. Uh, you, uh, this is the most uh, distant place from Lithuania one can imagine. Uh, as, uh, and, 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 and also from any other place. Uh, <laughs> So you know that Tasmania, that, uh, Tasmania, Tasmania is famous um, because there was a native tribe, uh, a native tribe, Tasmanians, the most primitive tribe, uh, tribe on earth, which was liquidated uh, in a quite, uh, quite genocidal uh, way 
in the 19th century, uh, nobody survived, um, and uh, for uh, the, for uh, many years, uh, for many years, there was a skeleton in a museum in Tasmania's uh, capitals, um, capitals in in a museum in 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 Tasmania's capital, Hobart. The skeleton was. Um, was incinerated and uh, liquidated several years ago. And uh, that, this was everything which remained of, of that tribe. Uh, later, the um, uh, Englishmen um, uh, sent convicts to Tasmania, and uh, it was sort of uh, Great, Britain's, uh, Great Britain's Siberia, probably not better than, than Siberia itself. Then the human rights movement appeared in Great Britain, which, which won, which won. Uh, however, however strange may it sound uh, to, uh, to, a person to a person from the East Europe. And the poem, which is, uh, well, not uh, especially comic, it is rather tragicomic, uh, ironic, uh, sp well, s speaks about those facts, uh, and uh, and um, of course uh, there are continuous references to our own, uh, to our own, our own situation. So it's also rather long. It's the poem is called "The Museum in Hobart." Hobart is Tasmania's capital. A country uninhabited for ages, toneless basalt and pendulum of ocean. To be more precise, that portion of the natives surviving in three massacres wake was hardly consequential. Here's the cape where they were turned to dust, dust, nomads naked and hungry. On the very edge, something the poet hesitates to face, without a past, almost even without a language. Year before last, there was also a skeleton saved, but it was burned since, whether out of deference or so it would not take up space. A space can't endure a void. I note the earth turning, gaps gradually reduced. The world has been made over from the start by a few artists, thieves, seducers, most of them not very guilty. In short, the place became a minor British gulag which non-existence later overtook. O on the whole globe, this, this is the peacefulest region. What's been is done, no has been spoken. Even the tape recorder confesses misdeeds and returned from eternity, the autochton menaces without malice from the screen, the low brow and the bowed head unskated by bloody turtles. Today, the very dead would be ecstatic at the patronage of the authorities. One might even conjecture the local language would have been enriched. Talk truthfully, what's there to talk about here? Hardly the fact that the temporal axis, the world and its prisons are getting better. Casino. At a far stony circum circumference, bronchi catch the wind, sails glitter, and the one enraptured by the city's comforts does not return his ticket to the creator any more than to answer airlines. 
quite at last, a dark tribe, faceless and gone, shackles under shutterproof glass, history sworn away like a copper coin, and above the bay and the mountain pass, Antarctic fog settles its heavy crown. This aches at the very roots and dense stone. We are not no longer brothers, but we are still neighbors. Where time descends in layers on top of time, where our snapshots, our, our alphabets fade, the stump of a syllable still screams something, and so does the ash in the tourist's exhibit case. What is oblivion? What does it mean, oblivion? Clepsidra's drip and streams keep going and going. A lamp's vase, despair occasionally flickers in the face of a crowded universe, in the face of nothing. Slaps on sa sandstone, night, the pier, signs in the wind, drawings in the snow. So you see that this um, idea of giving back the ticket to the creator is, of course, uh, a quote from Dostoevsky. And Ansett Islands is just the, the, the Australian islands. And the last poem, which is the longest one, it's called Autumn in Copenhagen. It's a poem also uh, a very, uh, written in a, in a very intricate patterns and, and uh, comparable probably to the patterns used by uh, Joseph Brodsky and under his influence, of course. And uh, it's uh, about three love affairs. First of all, a love affair with a woman, which is absurd enough, uh, which was absurd enough. Uh, then a love affair with one, one's own country. So the uh, action takes place in Copenhagen, in Denmark, Denmark's capital. All the action is waiting for a train uh, for appealing of one's friend. Um, and uh, the Co Copenhagen, uh, Copenhagen is different from Tasmania uh, in this sense that this is the probably the closest place one can uh, be to, to Lithuania. Uh, approximately 100 miles is between Copenhagen and uh, the city of Kleipa, where, where I was born. Uh, and the, the, so there is the uh, second rather absurd love affair with one's country, which is represented with the Soviet, uh, which is represented by the Soviet submarine on the Swedish rocks. You remember probably this uh, story; it was in all the newspapers. And uh, the third love affair is with one, one's own language, which begins to escape, uh, uh, y y y uh, which begins to escape every exile. So I believe this comment is enough, and now the poem. Uh, and the uh, mm, fountain described in the first stanza is a real one fountain in, in the center of the Copenhagen. Of course, there are many references to Andersen, to Kierkegaard, to Hamlet, and all, all the possible writers connected with, 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 uh, with Denmark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Baltic waters stream from a dragon's maw, a bronze claw flashes, a sharp-faced jet lashes space, turns to steam above the fountain's goblet in the memory gaps, don't close light away, and familiar cl clouds roll over Copenhagen from the left. 
if you stand facing south. They are accompanied by tin roofs, dirty lindens, branched, branches locked, and a hundred thousand bicycles, and echoes stopped at the port's very mouth, resurfaces closer by, asters grow damp, eaves sport scarlet geraniums, and the vertical line of a barge bars the way, resounding in the tepid canal of water that's too dingy to fathom. Only the statues, the statues will overcome this autumn. A wet king extends a bishop a hand. Letters and crosses on pedestals are patiently gnawed at by the empty salt air, for history is coming to an end. States and countries are vanishing. If you listen, you sense it. November's advancing from the pole and following November winter. There is a dull pulse of neon on a boulevard corner. The traveler collects his belongings, looks around Anna Square, touches a tree, almost not comprehending what city he's in, inasmuch as the day has the homeland's blackish savor. A sailboat chafes at the quay, and the northern name, compact clot of sonance, rolls around in the mouth. Solid plasters grown over with trained roses, classified convolvulus, stars of leaves. The stripe of the railroad thunders past behind the Tivoli, the train is always on time. What remains, remains beneath the pupils is nothing we call beauty, but sand traced with lime, a cheek's contour, a gesture, a movement, a horizon's line. You make an attempt to brace yourself on the rising wind, to scoop up familiar salt and silt, but in the dark well, the water level keeps going down, and for the nth time, you say that you are grateful for exile, and you pay your money for your choice of fate. You won't go home for every atom's long since been replaced in your body. The dislocated consciousness fumbles in the language as in a desk drawer. The din of declensions, conjunctions, negations, the blind incessancy of particles, the cramped phrases, and only occasionally dry, like something someone else experiences but breathtaking, pain and silence. A spot of sun at a glance crowns a spiraling tower. It seems as you round the brick wall you are blown out a candle. Suddenly, the Baroque yields to the expanse and somewhere in the distance, beyond shrubbery and wasteland, where it crumbles against the sand, you note Mare, Pelagos, Thalassa, the sea, the one and only sea, white as the sticks. Above the precipitous crests, the foaming clefts, lead ac accumulates professing storm and oblivion, the flat continent, gives off a wretched whiff of worthless metal, a radio misfires. Of the homeland, all that's left is a soundless threat, a Uranian veil perforated on the rocks of the littoral. You exist for the time any, anyway. To the gra gra granite stage directions, the willows give cues. The park shakes off to yellow leaves at the height of noon. The barometer's bright heart strains under increasing pressure. The cold penetrates to the bones. A jacket and sweater don't help. And Katagat exhales mist, and ice blasts from Telemark, and death is death. 
All that's left is to register the sound of the punctual train, to touch someone's face, someone's guns on the railing. When one's whole vocabulary by mistake coincides with the pronoun we. A magnesium cold dawns on the pillow, the sheet, the tray, and the traveler grits his teeth and mutters, joylessly ejaculating seat deep into a tired womb. Not to go home again, ever, to close up, disappear without a trace, sink into autumn's fastness, to lose the things that are fated to be lost, whatever of form and space still exists close of at hand. And however sinful and shameful it seems, hearts continue to beat, and the silence immaculate din verges into the solid night, the side of the current of Erasund. Thank you. Thank you very much, Thomas. Um, it was most edifying, and we are very proud to have him in our pen club, and we are very proud to have him as a wonderful poet. Uh, pen is um, <coughs> fighting for freedom of expression, and one of the sad tasks of pen clubs around the world is to petition and beg and do anything possible to release those fellow writers who are imprisoned in various dictatorships around the world, right and left. Our fight is often seemingly futile and brings very little result. This year, however, we have had several occasions to rejoice. Numerous people we had fought for, the American pen, of course, most valiantly, with more means than we have. Um, fought and uh, appealed for the release of numerous poets and writers, among them two who are now in the country, just arrived last week. Without trying to make any comparison, Irina Ratushinskaya is now in New York City and very soon will speak to you and many of you present have signed petitions uh, in her behalf and probably all your efforts were not in vain. And in this room among us is yet another gentleman, a noted young poet from Romania who arrived only a week ago to this country in whose behalf the American pen was equally uh, eloquent and fought. It gives me great pleasure to welcome among us Giza Such, who is a recent uh, arrival from Romania, one of the key figures defending 
the two and a half million Hungarian minority persecuted by the Stalinistic Ceausescu regime uh, of contemporary Romania. From December 1981 to January 1983, he was one of the three editors of the Samizda Juna Elem Pontok counterpoints, which advocated the rights of national minorities in Romania. This resulted in arrests and torture of all three editors, he's one of them. Each was expelled, search in last August. He has worked for Hungarian cultural rights in Romania, the largest minority in Europe, documenting the spread of Stalinistic repressions in Romania, from the closing of ethnic schools and publications to the destruction of historical landmarks, persecution of churches and the arrests, torture and murder of cultural figures. In Counterpoint's articles, reports to international Helsinki follow-up meetings and letters to the Bucharest government, he has also spoken positively and eloquently of the importance of ethnic minorities for all the nations of Europe. In addition to his activities as a human rights activist, Mr. Such is a brilliant poet. Please, with your kind permission, allow me to introduce him and perhaps hear just one of his poems. Would you? My name is uh, Mark Nasdor from the Committee for International Poetry. Um, I should mention that tomorrow night uh, there's going to be a, um, a Hungarian poetry festival at the Westside YMCA, which includes Geza Search, uh, uh, Judith Kemensky, who is also in this room, and um, Otto Orban. Uh, so please come tomorrow at 8 o'clock for that. Um, another um, point about uh, Geza Search is uh, there was a letter uh, from Geza that was presented at the, uh, there was sort of, sort of an alternative cultural, Budapest cultural forum. There was kind of a, an official forum and, and then in uh, the apartment of, uh, was that Conrad's, George Conrad's apartment? Where was the, 
I think it was in, in the apartment of George, uh, the writer George Conrad. No? Who was it? It wasn't? Oh. Anyway. It was in somebody's apartment. There was, a, there was an alternative <laughs> forum somewhere in Budapest. Um, a letter was, was, uh, was presented and it was widely reported in the uh, New York Review of Books and other, other publications. Anyway, um, I will read uh, a poem of, uh, of Geza's in English. Uh, I just need to make one comment. There's a reference to the, the town of Shegeshvar. Uh, it's a town in Transylvania where uh, the July 1849, in July 1849, the invading Russian army defeated the Hungarian Revolution, which began on um, March 15, 1848, which uh, sought independence from the, um, the Habsburg, Aus Austrian rule. Uh, it was uh, in this battle that Hungary's greatest national poet, Sándor uh, Petrifi, uh, fighting in the uniform of a major, uh, was killed. There's a reference here also to the commander of the Hungarian forces, uh, the Polish general Joseph Bem, uh, and he's referred to as Papa Bem. Yeah. Oh, this is. Uh, and, and Indian native. Well, this I should mention. This poem is dedicated to the to the poet William Leithiest Moon. Uh, great Indian poet. Um, Indian words on the radio. The Indians, they will not abandon us. Others, yes, but the Indians, they will not abandon us. If they knew what would happen at Chegeshvar, but, well, they did not know what would happen at Chegeshvar, they too would have come. Informed sources would have known they too are coming, Papa. Papa Bem, the Indians are coming, they would have said. One morning, they would have reported to Papa Bem, across the Bering Straits, across the Bering Straits, an Indian horse brigade approaches, cutting its way through across the whole of Siberia, throwing itself clear over here, it comes to our rescue. This is how the majors would have spoken. They would have tossed their helmets into the sky, Indian brother, we don't even have a reservation. Ghetto, Bantustan, reservation, they would have come in they would often come in handy. We have none. The tribe straggles into a pastry shop. We hang around for a long time in the pastry shop. Waitress, don't begrudge us that Indian cream puff, we say, and we think to ourselves, but we really think to ourselves. One day some Indians across the Bering Straits across any straits, will come to help us, will come to our rescue, will throw themselves over here. The Indians, they abandon no one. The Indians, they will not abandon us. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and I would like to express my thanks to the American PAN for giving us this opportunity, hoping that many more evenings like that we could enjoy each other's art. Thank Questions you very much. Questions and answers? Mm -hmm. yes. uh, following the tradition of PAN, uh, 
uh, readings. This is the question answer period, and we are entertaining questions uh, from the audience. Is there anybody who would like to ask any question? Any questions? Well, if not. <laughs> yes, sir. Do you want to give her strength to go back? Would you repeat Would you, any of you expect to get back to your respective countries ever? I'm not sure about Thomas Benslow. Well, but uh, <laughs> who, who answers the first? <laughs> well, I, I would say I don't exclude such a possibility. I don't exclude it, but uh, it depends on the developments in the Soviet Union. And in any case, uh, I have conditions for my coming back. Uh, first of all, a formal apology. Uh, published in the Soviet press, uh, since they uh, wrote uh, all kinds of, um, of uh, wrong things about me. The second, um, the giving back all of my books to the libraries, because uh, my three books were uh, just uh, um, just liquidated, just. Uh, just burned, and all, and 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 only only several copies remained in Lithuania. This would be the second condition. And thirdly, I have my academic duties at Yale, so I would prefer to visit my country and to go back to my job and to my American students. Uh, that's that's my answer. Sir, what are your conditions? I think uh, there's no way to, to go back because, as a matter of fact, uh, such guys, very nice as Gorbachev and so bad as Ceausescu, are only the products of a system. And I'm not, uh, I, I hadn't nothing against persons. I think uh, so far, so uh, as far as a such system will exist, it's nothing to deal with. Uh, of course, it's a very easy way to personalize uh, the guilty and said this crazy guy, Ceausescu. But the problem is the system, and uh, in terms of history, I don't see any reason to go back. In terms of show, uh, yes, but I'm not interested in show business. <laughs> there was a question here. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
do you only write only in Lithuanian? Yes, I write only in Lithuanian. Uh, well, I write poetry only in, in, in Lithuanian. Although recently, I, I, I also translate poetry into Lithuanian. Just recently, I had a, a new experience because I translated one poem into Russian. It was my first experience with, uh, of, of, work in, of work in a different language. Uh, some of my poetry, as, as you see, was, has been translated into English and also in some other languages. But I, uh, I still don't have any book in, in, in any language except Lithuanian. Yes, sir. The Lithuanian community in this country, mainly in Chicago, is rather uh, strong numerically. Uh, we have probably 100,000 of, of Lithuanian speakers in Chicago only. And uh, several uh, magazines, uh, more than 10 newspapers, uh, the Lithuanian chair, uh, the chair of the Lithuanian studies in Chicago's university, so there is some audience for the Lithuanian literature even here in the United States, and even some small market for it. Although, as I have said, I am uh, much more interested in uh, my poetry reaching Lithuania, uh, reaching Lithuania proper. Any other question right there, please? Yes. Okay, this is a, a, a good question. Yes, it is. It is. Um, the Russian influence uh, was um, rather prevalent uh, in, during the end of the 19th century. Well, and now it is much less prevalent because of the, the historical situation. Most of the young Lithuanian poets um, just uh, just avoid the Russian in, the Russian influence, and uh, the causes are are very clear. And of course, there is some, although slight Polish influence. I I would would say that some of our uh, poets are influenced by Herbert, by Ruzievich, uh, but not by Czeslaw Milos. Uh, because he is uh, almost unknown in Lithuania as an emigre writer. Uh, although Czeslav Minos was very well known in Lithuania uh, during late 30s, and he influenced uh, Lithuanian poetry at this period, during his youth. Uh, so there is some Polish influence, yes, you are right. Well, of course, of course, but uh, this, well, uh, I cannot give you a, a long uh, formal lecture about <laughs> the history of the Lithuanian literature, but of course, uh, the influence of Mickiewicz, of Slovatsky, was extremely strong in the 19th century, in the middle of the 19th century. Then it was replaced by the Russian influence. And uh, uh, at the latest period, we have uh, Western uh, influence, including Polish, once more. Thank you very much. Any other question? Yes, one more, please.
well. Of course, there is a, a coercion uh, to uh, study the, the Russian language more than it is necessary. Uh, oh, but I don't think that at present stage it uh, did much harm to the Lithuanian literature. Uh, I think that the resistance spirit in, in the sense is, is, uh, is, is strong enough. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, our distinguished poets. Thank you, Clara. Thank you. Yes, we just got this. Uh, you have to sign it. Uh, okay. Uh, they are, I already asked them. So. Aha. 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 Aha.